0: Welcome to Food Stories, I'm Barb Sheldon and today at my kitchen table, I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Christy Gibson. Christy is a family physician in Calgary, Canada with a background in justice work, medical education and global health. A skilled facilitator and speaker, she's engaged in building individual and community resilience. Her writing creates the woven narrative between her interests, well-being, trauma recovery and the power of story. She's a skilled trauma therapist, understanding that stress lives in human and community bodies. The author of the book *The Modern Trauma Toolkit*, and you can find out more about her on her super popular TikTok channel, TikTok Trauma Doc. Hi, Christy. Thanks for joining me at my kitchen table today.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Barbara.
0: I know you've been doing a ton of podcasts um, promoting your new book. So, and and you you live in the world of healing trauma. And so this might be a little different for you <laughs> to talk about food. But the one thing that I really love about you and you see this all over your website and, and in your work is that you kind of say that at heart you're a storyteller and that you use storytelling in your work.
1: Absolutely. And not just storytelling, but story seeking. So really trying to listen to the stories of others and to try to be really curious.
0: Me too. I love that so much. So when you and I met at an author party back in the summer, uh, we immediately connected um, and we connected, I think partly because we have similar energy and, and similar ideas about life, but we, we started talking about food right away. And, um, and so I thought you would just be a wonderful person to sit down and for you to tell, tell us your food story. So our first question that we ask our guests is, will you tell us your food story?
1: Yeah. And I think my food story is really um, enmeshed in memories of my grandmother. So I spent lots of weekends with my mom's mom growing up uh, in Edmonton. And she was Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, she only just passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 104. Oh, my gosh. Um, I know. She was, she was an amazing human. And so when I when I think about food a lot of it had to do with um with memories of her so I think of her raspberry pie with you know kind of this super fresh because she had raspberry vines in her backyard um Mm -hmm. between the garage and the fence was just a it's not even a patch it was like a jungle of raspberry Mm -hmm. bushes um so she pick from her own yard, and make a raspberry pie, cold pie, bit of whipped cream, and a lot of Ukrainian food. And sadly, that isn't something that was passed on to us. But I've hosted Ukrainian evacuees for the last year and a half, um, one of whom I basically consider a daughter at this point. And, And Marina was baking for my family last night as I go to visit them in Edmonton. She's um baked a cheesecake but she's constantly baking these um Ukrainian soups Ukrainian recipes some that Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with others that are new to me but there's like a flavor like the flavor of dill Mm -hmm. or um a texture like the texture of a of a pierogi um she 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 calls them something different I think it's Belisniki. no um that's not the right word vereniki um and she she showed up and she made them with cherries, um, like a savory progi But what was so beautiful about it is like putting a dollop of sour cream on everything, soup, savory mm-hmm. foods, anything, mm-hmm. is something that reminds me of grandma. You know, you had to put sour cream on everything, um, and so I, I just feel this like sense of ongoing connection to my grandmother through food. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not to say that my parents didn't cook amazing food. They did too, but I think my story of food is, is my grandma. I love that. It's amazing how sense
0: memory connects us so quickly to the past.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if you want to get nerdy with me from what I remember. Let's let's
0: get nerdy. Of course I do. (laughs) Um,
1: When, when sensory input enters the human brain, um scent is one of the quickest ones like it actually bypasses the initial kind of gatekeeper of sensory input and nice. it goes straight into the system that kind of responds emotionally so it's one of the reasons why scent and fear are linked but scent is linked to a lot of strong emotions so um it makes sense that the, that humans have that capacity to feel really strongly about things that have a powerful scent memory um, and I, I definitely know that's true for me.
0: And so when you were eating these pierogies that are new to you now, um, what, what emotions were you experiencing? You were reminded of your grandma, but
1: what did you feel? Um, so if, if I had to summarize like the way to like describe my grandma's food, it would be soft. There's wow. a softness. Um, she, she, she would like make her meat so slow cooked that that it would just be so tender. It would actually melt. Like you didn't really have to chew the food that my grandma made. Um, and softness, I think is really that kind of textural experience I have of it for my Uh, like what I'm learning more and more about the human body and the way that we experience sensations. And a lot of this does have to do with trauma, but the things that can be comfortable or uncomfortable are often, you know, connected to the way that a particular unique experience that has to do with painful past. It has to do with um, things that were joyful and connected. And so the way that people process sensations is incredibly varied. So two people can eat the exact same thing and have a really, really different experience of it. And so for me, softness is really um, joyful and soothing and certain textures like an orange rind or like grated coconut, um, I experience it in a really heightened way. And Mm. this is something that I'm learning more about the way that the human body does... um, Shift the way that sensory experiences are processed. I guess would be the best clinical word. Since I'm being nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: when you and I spoke in the summer, we touched a little bit on um, my graduate work, working with kiddos in marginalized communities and their access to food and getting them cooking and feeling a sense of worth and value, and my first response to what you're saying is, gosh, I would love for those kiddos to be able to feel that softness and that comfort through food. Do you yeah. think that, yeah. Do you think that food, how, how do you feel about food playing a part in, in healing trauma?
1: So in my book, the modern trauma toolkit, I did include a chapter um, that was talking about kind of the daily routine. So what are the things that you can do in a day that help you process trauma? So people think of trauma therapy as something that happens um, in your therapy session, but healing happens in every moment of your life because a large part of it is changing your mindset around the world is bad. The world is scary. People can't be trusted. There's something wrong with me. And all of your daily experiences can help shift that mindset. There's also um, your microbiome to consider. So, oh. our our guts are very intricately connected to the neurotransmitters and the neurochemistry that make up our mental health. Um, there's also so much relationship in food. There's our relationship with our body so it's our relationship to ourselves there's our relationship with family which often needs healing and sometimes mm-hmm. recipes and tastes can be a part of that healing process is creating better associations of something that had been triggering at one time so this is one of the things that we do when we're when we're working through um painful past is to recreate associations so if we have like let's say for example um, My grandmother had been very scolding and very um, just not emotionally supportive to me. That's not true. But let's say, for example, for somebody like that, the flavor of dill might be triggering. And so having better experiences with that flavor and even with foods that were similar that are related to the memory can be a healing process. So there are so many ways that food heals. Um, Eating in community. So, you know, sharing laughter and yes. having, you know, um, an interconnected response to food. And, and food has been a part of community ceremony, has been a part of traditions. Um, you know, a lot of us are going to have a Thanksgiving dinner with family this weekend. Um, as This is when we're recording. And those kinds of experiences can be triggering for some, of course, Mm -hmm. but this is something that every human civilization has done for millennia and millennia for a reason. This is where healing happens. It happens in relationships
0: Mm -hmm. and at the dinner table. And I think in our society, you know, we're so used to being having food pass through a window of a drive through and eating it, you know, uh, in a solitary environment, whether we're just in front of the TV and we're solitary in our mind or, we're at a dinner table, but we're introverted and thinking of our own things and not connecting with
1: community outwardly, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and that's why I loved your example. I mean, because because food can also be connected to problems too. So I mean, yeah. I think of myself when I did hospital-based practice, Yeah. you know, sitting in my car a lot, sitting um, yeah. at a workstation a lot, and yeah, it was just food is fuel. It was just this like mechanical thing that's just like I'm a a a body that requires fuel and I'm gonna, you know, shove it, shove it in like I would fuel up a car. Um, so it can be that way, but it can also be something that's connected to structural violence and harm. So when you talked about this, why I loved our conversation, um, like communities that are placed at risk and marginalized, whether there's food deserts or whether they have food insecurity. I've dealt with a lot of that in my clinical practice too. And food is a message of structural violence in that case. Like if if food is a human right, which I believe it is, and people are deprived of of nutritious food, um, which the climate emergency is accelerating for all of us, let's be honest. I remember paying $10 for a cauliflower once and just yeah. thinking, You know, there's going to come a time um, and that time has come for many, many people. So I, I think we need to acknowledge that, too, is that there's a reflection of the greater macro systems and this ecosystem that we're all a part of. And when it's harming us in one way, it can harm us through food as well. Yes,
0: absolutely. Which is so sad because, you know, there's so many there's so much potential for joy with food as well you know, and and it, it would be great to focus there. But I saw there was this yesterday, uh, uh, another podcaster, and uh, he said, food is so hard. Why does it have to be so hard? And, and he was really upset about making choices and looking at calories and restriction. And, and, and I see that in my practice all, all the time, too. And it's like, we've lost that joy and that connection. Do you have any um, quick, like, tips or or advice about being mindful and and uh, uh in in relation to food and maybe cultivating a bit of joy uh, from it if it's been a struggle for people
1: you asked that in such a brilliant way um and I, like you you kind of nailed the language because mindful eating is something that is uh, oftentimes a part of healing and and of course we have to be careful because folks who have um, a history of disordered eating or like an uncomfortable relationship with food, this might not work for them. But for others where they have that opportunity to recreate safe associations with food, um, mindfulness is something that I don't tend to recommend as just being sit in a corner and try to clear your mind in a person who's going through some significant mental health struggles. Because when you do that, you just give the mind free rein to be like, well, um, I'm not good enough, and good things don't happen to me. And that's where the mind tends to go when that's what it is already creating. So mindful activity, I think, is a beautiful way to practice presence in the body, um, attentiveness to our nervous system state. And in, in healing, we call this interoception. And it's an awareness of what our body is doing. And a lot of times when we are just going through the motions because we don't feel safe, or when we don't really have a good relationship to our body, whether it's the mind or the the more physical aspects of it, um, we tend to dissociate a little bit. And people think of dissociation as like, oh, they take drugs, or they're psychotic, and they're not connected to reality. But dissociation can be as simple as, doom scrolling or getting stuck on a Netflix binge, and we all do it. So one of the ways to practice mindful presence is to do it with an activity. So it can be brushing your teeth and noticing the bristles and noticing the taste of your toothpaste. It can be a mindful eating practice, where you um, smell it first, and you touch your tongue to it, and you decide what flavors you're experiencing you you notice the textures and you try to create a multi-sensory experience using your eyes using your tongue using touch um there, there's so many different ways that we can experience food that actually does shift our nervous system state so if we feel like we're stuck in fight and flight all the time Um, even just the simple act of swallowing brings us into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our calm nervous system. So when I was really anxious doing hospital work, one of my therapists at the time said, you should swallow something every 10 minutes. And I'm like, what, how? And it was just bringing a water bottle along and then some snacks, like I'd bring some cashews or pistachios and I'd just pop a couple in my mouth every once in a while. And it helped me from getting flooded into that sympathetic fight and flight state. So like literally the activating food can heal your body in so many different ways and you know I'm sure you have many other guests who are more um familiar with the the topic of the food microbiome but here in Calgary we have um the Taylor labs where they actually do oh. um fecal capsules where you would take the microbiome of another person in order to heal your mental health. So that's a pretty, well, it's actually not extreme. It's pretty cool. It's <laughs> um, amazing. It's, talk ways. about nerding out. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, there's other ways to modify your microbiome. So I was in South Korea giving a talk a few years back, and I visited a family practice of a guy who was treating people with anxiety, and he was using some body-based practices like tapping which is something that i do and i'm a huge fan Mm -hmm. one other thing he did was a stool analysis in clinic and he would prescribe different forms of fermented foods like kimchi for example very culturally ubiquitous in korea south korea Mm -hmm. and he would put that as a part of his prescription and he would actually alter the microbiome of his patients to help them with their anxiety. Yes, he said to me, he had like a hundred percent curate. I was like, Oh my gosh, we have oh. so much. That gives me chills.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And that, you know, moving into the parasympathetic state here in, in my world, we call that the rest and digest state. Cause obviously you can't, you can't be resting and digesting if you're running away from the primordial tiger, right? Yeah. That's the idea. Do you have, so one of your most popular TikToks uh, is the information um, <laughs> one. Do you have a food, if this is, I'm totally asking you this off the top of my head, but I'm curious, do you have a food information that that people might be able to use to shift into that rest and digest mode?
1: We should create one. Yeah. Um, So for your listeners, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what affirmations are. So a lot of people are familiar with affirmations where you would say something that is positive and abundant, and you would create that in your life by manifesting it through stating it. So whether it's shifting your mindset or creating, you know, a different life experience, the affirmation is supposed to bring that to you. And for a lot of people who've been through painful past experiences, affirmations can feel a little bit like gaslighting. So when you're saying uh-huh. uh, my home is, you know, a safe place and you don't really believe it or where you're saying I am good enough and there's this part of you that's saying, are you really? Um, that can feel pretty uncomfortable. Like you're telling yourself a lie, which can compound the problem you're already facing as you you start stop trusting yourself around the things that you are trying to say. Affirmations are just putting what if in front of an affirmation. So instead of saying um, my home is safe, what if my home could feel safe? Instead of saying I am good enough, what if I could imagine a time in the future that I feel good enough? And that's the way you tiptoe. So an affirmation around food could take something that can be challenging for folks. Um Or even just saying something that sounds really abundant and beautiful and joyful, but might be a bit of a stretch for some folks. So um, food is healing. What if food is healing would be one version of an affirmation, uh, information. Um, Do you have any thoughts?
0: (laughs) What about around worth? Like instead of I deserve this food. Could we say
1: what
0: if I deserve
1: this food? Yeah. What if I deserve beautiful Beautiful food? food. Exactly. What if I deserve connection to my body through food? What if I'm capable of connection to my body through food? What if I can heal and food is a part of that healing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is fun.
0: (laughs) This is fun. (laughs) There could be so many. I mean, it's tough because when we look at, you know, economic factors, especially right now with the what they're calling, you know, ticket sticker shock or whatever at the grocery store is such a ridiculous uh, phrase. But the point is, it's getting harder and harder to afford food. And that's a stress for people too. you know, Um, what, so maybe it's what if I what if I could grow a little food myself in a pot?
1: Oh, I love that. And then it sounds like such a baby step because someone like me, who's always considered myself as having a black thumb, what if i have one green fingernail <laughs> yeah and i started by just growing cherry tomatoes on my counter with like a, a little grow lamp and yeah. it's crazy how many i get. like i'm getting 10 to 15 a week now of little cherry tomatoes they're so Ugh. tasty and um,
0: they're just little like little bursts of joy when you put them in your mouth and they're so nutrient dense because oh. you can grow them yourself you know
1: yeah yeah on so that on i love that as a baby step um too. one other thing I wanted to highlight was uh, w- the way that food can be um healing in community doesn't necessarily have to be something that you start on your own. So, like, what if I can heal through community and food is just like, well, how do I get from here to there? Mm. This kind of work is already happening. Um, like community food centers, Canada has lots of yes. food centers Calgary has one, but many cities have them. and, um, my friend, Saima Habib, one of her recent jobs, um, she, I, I don't know if you've interviewed her yet, but she's amazing. Not um, yet. But she's she, on the list.
0: She doesn't know that yet. Saima, if you're listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was doing some incredible work around diverse communities and decolonization um, and the way that communities can grow food together and cook food together and the way that community healing and um, post-traumatic growth, if I might um, kind of borrow one of my common phrases and attribute it to the work of Saima, because I really think she does that. Um, so, you know, healing can happen through therapy, but healing can happen in so many other different ways. Um, and when I when I was hearing about the work she was doing with, you know, the the national body, I thought, wow, like that's such a powerful way to create a healing environment.
0: I love that. Through food. Amazing. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course. Do you have a favorite recipe or favorite food? What brings you joy to eat?
1: Um, I am pretty plant-based in these times. Uh, so I'm celiac. So like I have to eat gluten-free. That's not a choice. Um, And so sometimes I can't choose to also be vegetarian. Um, I just came back from the country of Georgia and, um, I could not choose to be vegetarian there if I was gluten-free, but here in, in my home, I I try to eat pretty plant forward. Um, and one of my earliest introductions to that was the Moosewood cookbooks back in the 90s. Love Um,
0: Moosewood. Yes.
1: Yeah. They, it was just divine introduction and my favorite recipe from an early moosewood cookbook was a west african groundnut stew which has a base of peanut butter and tomatoes and, and then you add like chunky eggplants um sweet potato peppers like just create this glorious plant based stew and the flavors just blow my mind like i can't even believe it's real um the person that introduced this to me would um, sprinkle some cashews on top, mm. a bit of yogurt and banana across the side of the plate. It like it honestly feels like a dance in my mouth. And it's one thing that I'm comfortable cooking because I'm not an amazing cook like um, Sprout Society, this like incredible meal subscription um, in Calgary. They feed me. They they drop off food every Sunday. It's gluten free. <laughs> It's like global flavors, which yeah, I love. They do
0: amazing work. They really do. Oh my God. Huge yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah. West African groundnuts do is my comfort zone. And I've been making this recipe for like, I don't know, almost 30 years. And every single time I'm like, oh my gosh, my mouth is dancing. It's just such an amazing, warm, comfortable, soft. Oh. Feeling And I love how it's got a global connection. I've spent lots of time working in East Africa and, you know, probably 10 different countries. And for me to feel like I'm not tied to the spices and the aesthetic and, you know, the way that we conceive of food in in the global north, I really yeah. like that. So I love exploring and being curious and learning um, about other cultures through food. It's one of my favorite things. And that's why when I was in Georgia, I'm like, just throw the vegetarianism out the window and just be present with what is here and really experience this culture. Um, and that's one of the things I really love about food too.
0: One of the photos you gave us, you're, you're in a field, is it a cornfield, a cornfield in Georgia, right?
1: (laughs) It's a wild blueberry patch. Oh, Um, sorry.
0: Wild blueberry. Oh my gosh. Even yeah, Boy, I could just lay down in that. That would be it for me.
1: Like, we did. So I was traveling yeah. with two of my best friends, and we um we just sat in this wild blueberry patch. We each took a place. We scanned the environment for bears carefully, yeah. and we just sat blueberries for, like, an hour. And I just felt like this small kid. Like, what we, we yeah. all finished. We stuck our tongues out at each other, and our teeth were blue, and our tongues were blue, and um our fingertips were purple, and... Just the pure joy of eating these beautiful, wild blueberries at the foot of this glacier in, you know, very rural Rocha State, Georgia, um, with some rhododendrons growing all around it. Um, the most gorgeous views you could imagine. Um, I actually, like, even just thinking of that moment, it brings tears to my eyes with how joyful we all were in that, you know, 30 minutes. Just bliss. <laughs> There's no other word for it. Uh, Before
0: we go, do you want to tell us just a little bit more about your book and where we can find it?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think your listeners probably get that it's it's not just a book about mental health. It's um, I just finished up a doctorate in transdisciplinary studies, and it basically means like, don't put me in a box. I -hmm. might be a physician. I might be a mental health therapist, but I'm not just those things. And I really love to be curious and explore what is healing? What does our bodies innately know? And so the modern trauma toolkit isn't like a DIY, do these steps, and your mental health will be perfect. It's an invitation to get curious. What does your body already know? Um, I learned things like havening, tapping, tremoring, all these things that are ancient technologies and innate mechanisms that exist within our body that returns us to more comfortable mindsets and more um aligned nervous system states like you don't always want to be in rest and digest mode you want to have everything accessible but the idea is to be flexible and I I honestly think that's true with food too is part of healing from food is not just sticking to like this is the thing that I eat every day and and getting curious and comfortable with things that are different Mm -hmm. mental flexibility is the opposite of a trauma response and I, I really think that There are so many different ways we can approach it and personalize it. So our food experience is really similar in that way. Um, Every single human tongue and every single human digestive system is different. And being curious about our own mind-body system is um, really what it's all about. Incredible. It's required reading for every person on the planet today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> my pleasure. No, it is my pleasure. This is amazing. I, I could truly talk to you forever, but it is Thanksgiving and we each have things to do. So I want to thank you
1: so much for being here today. Love it. Awesome. Well, enjoy enjoy your weekends. I know I will. And a lot of it will be because of food. <laughs> yeah, food. Thanks, Christy. No problem. Take care.